I have one goal this morning, and that is to captivate your heart with the brilliance and majesty of Christ. So let's pray. God, I sense how insufficient I am for the task, but how sufficient your word is to the task. So may your spirit work through this passage to cause us to be captured with the brilliance and majesty of your son. Amen. I'd like you to take your Bibles and open them to Colossians chapter 1. If you are using the Pew Bible in the rack in front of you, this can be page, uh, found on page 833. We'll be reading verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1. And because we believe when God's word is read that God's voice is heard, let us stand together. Colossians 1, 15-23 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith. Established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen. You can be seated. Again, my goal is to captivate your heart with the brilliance and majesty of Christ. And that's my goal because I believe it is Paul's goal in writing this passage. You see, as we've been learning the last two weeks, the Colossians, they were a mature group of believers, but perhaps they were susceptible to a certain pitfall. There was one area of weakness for them, and that was in their desire for greater heights of spirituality, and their desire to grow spiritually or, or you know, get off the plateau or the, the stalled out faith that they were at right then, they might grasp for something more. 
a teaching that comes along, calling itself Christian, using spiritual language, sounding very religious, appealing to their senses that would say, you want new spiritual heights? Here's where they are. And so Paul, in his letter, is addressing that concern. Now, in, in, in Paul's letters, there's a typ- typical way he begins. He always begins with these introductory statements, and then he begins telling them how he prays for them. So that's the introductory stuff. So it's not until verse 15 that you really get to the body of the letter of Colossians. And so it's significant what he says starting at verse 15, because it's kind of his first shot out of the box. This is what I want to talk to you about. I was trying to think through how to, to capture the, the feel of what Paul is saying here. I want you to imagine for a second that there is a man who is married to the most beautiful woman you can imagine in every way, right? She's beautiful outwardly, but she's also beautiful inwardly. She's, uh, she's gracious, she's kind, she uh, takes care of the needs of others, hospitable, she's devoted to him. And this man is dabbling with the idea of an affair, Maybe you were to sit down with this man, you would start by telling him, look at the beautiful wife you have. Because you know, if he just saw his wife as she was, the allure of an affair would fade. I think Paul understands out of the gate Instead of addressing issues like, well, here's the problems with the false teachers, or here are the things you need to be on guard of, or here's where you're susceptible, he wants to start out of the gate by saying, look at the beauty, look at the majesty, look at the splendor of Jesus. Because he is convinced that if we see Jesus for who he is, it will steal our hearts against the various things that could pull and prod us away from the Christ of Scriptures. So, let's dig into the passage. Verses 15 through 17 deal with the issue of Jesus being the firstborn of creation. So you see that phrase right there in verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of Overall creation. I think it's worthwhile since this word firstborn is going to be used a couple times to just mention that there are some people who read that word firstborn and then try and argue that God, uh, that Jesus, who this is talking about, was somehow a created being. So if you're going to be the firstborn, well, you have to have been first. And so that means you had to have a, had a start. So Jesus is a created being. But those who argue for that actually fail to understand what's really going on scripturally. You see, if you just go back into the Old Testament, um, God throughout the Old Testament is dropping these hints, these pointers that say a Savior is coming, a Messiah is coming, a promised one is coming who's going to come and fix all this mess and bring God's good kingdom in. One of the main figures in that, one of the main you know, flashing lights that says a Savior's coming is this king, King David. And King David, actually, after he di- dies, the, the prophets come and they prophesy another, so to speak, King David. Of course, they're promising Jesus. But it says in Psalm 89, this about David. God says, I will appoint him my firstborn. 
the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Now, he was already alive when God said that. He wasn't saying, I'm going to make him my firstborn in some sort of sequential sense, right? He's saying that I am appointing him to a position, a status of firstborn, wherein he is supreme, he is preeminent over all the kings of the earth. And so, when Paul says of Jesus, he is the firstborn, not just over all the kings of the earth, but the firstborn of all creation, he's not talking about some sequence. He's talking about his status, his position of honor. So, in verses 15 through 17, we see is the firstborn of creation. And I want to draw out from these verses three different truths about this firstborn. The first thing is there in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. That is, a God who cannot be seen can be seen in Jesus. You know, in in Genesis, it talks about man being created in the image of God. But here it says, Jesus is the image of God. We were created to reflect what God was like in his image. But Jesus embodied who God was. He was the image. He is the image. You know, um, I was thinking, uh, we, ha- we have this Jesus who, who is is the fullness of God, that in him we can see what God is like. And I was trying to think about, you know, the Colossians and, and what they're dealing with and the temptations they were faced with. Well, and I thought of, uh, if you, just giving you a choice. If, if you had the option between having a meal especially prepared for you by Gordon Ramsay or having me prepare a meal for you using one of Gordon Re- Ramsay's recipes... Which would you choose? Well, aside from the vulgarity, hopefully we'd all say we'd want the, we'd want the real thing right there. Gordon Ramsay's food. And it's like Paul saying, look, you have the image of God right here for you to sup on. Why are you running after, or don't be tempted to run after, all these men who are trying to grasp at what God's like and sharing their theories of spirituality and what Jesus might be like and their experiences with him when you have the real thing right here. So he is the image of the invisible God. We shouldn't feed on people like Benny Hinn or Richard Foster or Sarah Young or Brother Lawrence or Pope Francis or Colton Burpo or Robert Schuler, the list could go on when we can feed on the very image of God in Christ. He is the image of God. Then verse 16 tells us that He is the Creator. The Creator of all things. Do you see the, the scope that is included here in verse 16. Look at it. First of all, it begins and ends by saying he created, all things were created for him. It begins, verse 16, for by him all things were created. And then it, 
And at the end of verse 16, all things were created through him. Whenever somebody says something and then repeats himself, it's because they're trying to make a point. Paul is trying to help us see everything was made through him. But if we miss that, look at what's in the middle of that. He created all things sandwich. It says, things in heaven and on the earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities. Is it in the heavens? God created it. The stars? The moon? My, uh, my family's here in town. I have two sisters and three nieces and a nephew. And my nephew was telling me that the closest star to, our, uh, to earth besides the sun is four light years away. That star God created. Jesus created. Visible and invisible. The winds, the weather patterns. Anything you can see, Jesus is the creator. And then it lists these thrones, rulers, powers, Sorry, thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. Now, certainly that that can refer to just anybody in a position of prominence. But particularly that language got used in that era to refer to like spiritual powers, angelic beings, spiritual powers. The things in the spiritual realm were made by him. Look around the room. Everything in here. It's made by him. Now, the Bible will tell us that the Father and the Spirit, working together with the Son, were all instrumental in creation. But God saw fit here to draw out the fact that it was Jesus creating all of these things. So again, Colossians, again, church, When someone comes along to you and and says, I have access to new spiritual heights. I can teach you new spiritual things. Because I have a, a special experience or teaching on the angels. Or I have a special connection with a saint long dead, now in heaven, who can intercede for me. Our response should be, well, I have the one who made those angels. I have the one who made those saints. Why go after a spirituality that is man-made when you can go after the Christ who made man? So as firstborn of creation, he is the image of God. He is the creator. And then verse 17, he is the sustainer. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Now, you may have heard people referred to as the glue that holds something together, right? Well, Karen is the glue that holds our family together, and I learned this quite firsthand when our littlest Mercy was born. You see, when Karen was pregnant with Mercy, we, uh, she was put on bed rest and eventually hospitalized with the bed rest, and then Mercy was born Uh, quite early, a preemie, and so for about a month, most of Karen's waking hours were spent in the hospital with Mercy. 
When I say things came unglued, I don't just mean frozen pizza and unkempt hair. We became emotionally unglued. There were tears every day. There was outbursts of behavior that we hadn't seen at school and at home. And I was frazzled and at the end of my rope, threadbare. And then Karen came back. And within a week, everything was functioning normally again. You know, on a cosmic level, it's a, a little bit like what Jesus is. If Jesus went on bed rest, so to speak, the world would begin to spin out of control in chaos. But he doesn't go on bed rest. He is there eternally holding, sustaining all things, holding all things together. And so, if he can hold together all of this creation, all that he has made, and sustain it until the day he comes back, If he has that kind of power, if you believe in a Jesus whose hands are that big, are they not big enough to sustain our faith from conversion to when Christ returns to glory? Why turn anywhere else? Why turn to anything else? This is our God. If God is that big, if your Jesus is that strong, and you look at your own heart and you say, man, I don't know what to do with these burdens that I have. My spiritual condition is so desperate. What I've done is so bad. The habits that I've formed are so deeply rooted. I don't know if Jesus is enough. I need this, some Christian self-help dribble, or some secular program to get me out what you ultimately need what you truly need the one thing that's truly powerful enough is Jesus the Jesus of the scriptures so we see is the firstborn of creation the image of God the creator the sustainer but then verses 19 sorry verses 18 through 20 teach us he's another kind of firstborn. Look with me. There it is at the end of verse 20. Um, oh, sorry, at the, at the end of verse 18. It says, at the beginning of 18, he's the head of the body of the church, and it says, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. That phrase firstborn again, this time from among the dead. That means he was the first to truly rise from the dead. There are other people who came back to life again, but they die. Jesus, once he resurrected, he was the first person to truly be resurrected, never to die again. And what, what Paul is telling us there is that Jesus actually did something when he came out of the grave. He actually conquered death. Now, if you're have grown up in Christian circles and have heard this a lot, it's not all that shocking to you, although it should be. But this is the fundamental claim of Christianity that, that is, if it's true, 
Everybody needs to become a Christian and convert and come and follow this Christ. And if it's false, everyone sitting in this room who believes in Christ is a fool. Did Jesus actually come up out of the ground and conquer death? Now, see, if you go back, verses 15 through 17, I talked about how he's the firstborn of creation. He made all these things. That kind of takes us back to Genesis, where God made this whole cosmos. And he knit it together beautifully, it says. It's very good. But then, man, whom God has created, decides that he would do a better job himself. He wants to have the wisdom and knowledge that God can have. And so he rebels against the Father, against God, and takes of a fruit that he was forbidden from eating, the one command the good God gave, and he rebels against him, and he shakes his fist at God, and he takes a bite of that fruit. And in that moment, as God had warned, it says, you will surely die, and sin and death bleed into the world. And take over and establish their foul reign across the world and in our hearts. And so you see it work out as as death begins to play out in mankind. Their bodies begin to age and decay. And disease and sickness sets in. People die from infirmities. And poverty and famine break out over the earth. And discord and strife. and, and, And little subtle sins begin to work into the human heart like jealousy and greed but also more startling sins like rape or murder or exploitation and abuse. This is the world where sin and death reign. And so what the Bible's saying is, look, if you want to know what this fallen world is like, it's characterized by the reign of sin and death. And so, if somebody's going to conquer this kingdom that is here in this world, the sin and death kingdom, the reign of that, he must conquer death. And there's one who did. And he is the firstborn, the first of many, that through him we can overcome this foul reign of sin and death. So Jesus comes in and he deals with sin and death. It talks about you know, uh, firstborn from among the dead refers to his resurrection. But if you keep reading, it says in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Do you see that scope again? Things earth, things heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And his resurrection had defeated death. But it was on the cross when his blood was shed, the Bible talks about that as an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation whereby God's just wrath, the the punishment that we ought to bear, was poured out and appeased by the sacrifice that Jesus made when his blood was shed on the cross. He dealt with sin on the cross so that, well, I love the way the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, puts it. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He created all things. Then, because of man's fall, that curse spread to all. And now he is here 
to bring his blessings, to let them flow as far as the curse is found, all things heaven and earth reconciled in Christ. And so for us, who put our faith in that Jesus, who dealt with sin by his blood on the cross, and who rose up, the firstborn from the dead, we can join in that new creation. If you were taking notes on that sheet that you have in your bulletin, I think it's there, right? It says in verses 15 through 17, I, took, I talked about firstborn of creation. You could do for 18 through 20, not just firstborn from the dead, you could put firstborn of new creation. Because God is taking this fallen world and making it new creation, a good creation. All who put their faith in Him can experience all the goodness of that. Well, so verse 20 tells us He is the Redeemer. But let's go back up to verse 18. He is the head of the body the church. As the firstborn of new creation, he's the redeemer, but he's also the first or the head of the church. Certainly that means he is, he is the source, the one that gives life to the church. But it also means he is our chief. He is the boss. Sometimes you hear in uh, you know, church talk and they're trying to talk about how churches should wor- work, this discussion whether the church should be bottom-up, grassroots, or top-down, hierarchical, Right? This passage makes it absolutely clear, 100%, that the biblical church is 100% top-down. And what that means is Christ is the one head of the church. That throws all the church theory talk and everybody's ideas out the window. And just says, no, there's one boss. And in Maple Avenue Baptist Church, there's going to be one boss. There is one boss, and it's Jesus. And we talked about two, um, two alternatives to that that could get in the way. One is thinking that the senior pastor is the boss. My job, so, so if Christ is the head of our church, he, he rules his word, we, we know what God wants through the, he rules his church, I should say, we know what he wants through the Bible. We go to the word of Christ, as Paul elsewhere in Colossians will refer to the Bible. The word of Christ to know what he wants. And so my job as a pastor isn't to tell you what I think is best, isn't to give you my expert advice. My job is to try and study the scriptures and hold it out before us so that we can see what Christ would want for our church. Now, uh, I was talking with somebody not too long ago, and they were trying to relay to me kind of... um, how well I've been received at the church. And they said something to the effect of, or I think it was in the course of the conversation it came up, that if I came forward and denied that Jesus was God, that half the church would follow me. Now, uh, certainly I'm sure it was meant uh, as an overstatement, an exaggeration. But, let me say, If my abilities as a teacher or my personal skills or whatever else ever lead people to start following me as the head of this church, it's time for me to step down. Because Christ must be and will be the head of Maple Avenue Baptist Church. But there's another thing that can get in the way. And that is you. 
you can begin to think that you know what's best for Maple Avenue. And all of your preferences and your thoughts on how things should be done should be how it's done. And if it's not done the way I think it should be done, it's not being done right. And you're happy to use Scripture to support what you already think. But you can't remember the last time that God's Word actually changed how you thought church should be done. Certainly hasn't happened in the last month. And so instead of you searching the Scriptures and saying, Christ, what does He want? And constantly being changed and renewed by what God says through His Spirit and His Word. You are using the Bible to prop up what you think and you're going to be cynical and bitter if it's not done or you're going to stir up dissension if it's not done. Let me say that an attitude like that is poison to a church. I need to submit and we all need to submit to the one head who is Christ. So he is the Redeemer. He is the head of the church. And verse 19 This is what is astounding in this. It says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. He's the fullness of God. This one whose blood was shed on the cross, this one who was beaten, mocked and scorned, the one who stood in and took the penalty we deserved, bore the wrath that God should have poured out on us. This one is the fullness of God. Now, there can be those who come and deny that Jesus is God. They say He was a, a God-like being, He was a great prophet, or whatever else they want to say. But if they deny that this one is the fullness of God, truly God, fully God, as He was fully man, they deny the teachings of Scripture. And they're just putting forth man-made ideas about Jesus from their own imaginations, no matter how they try to twist the Scriptures to support their position. He is the fullness of God. Isn't it amazing? This Jesus, this man that walked this earth and who did the things we said Suffered and died. Everyone agrees on that. He was beaten. He suffered. He died on a cross. This Jesus is fully God. The image of God. The creator of all things. Being beaten and whipped in my place and your place. Isn't it beautiful? What a beautiful Savior we have. So don't go chasing after the pseudo-Christian mystical teachings being put forth by all the spiritual gurus that you can find at the Christian bookstore and on the religious broadcasts. Look to the one who is the firstborn of creation. The firstborn of new creation. Look at verses 21 to 23. In verses 21 to 23, Paul takes these truths and applies them to the Colossians. So hear how he does that. Once you were alienated from God 
and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope of the go- held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? You, you were the ones who were hostile in your mind and enemies of God. You were the ones who he reached out and redeemed and made peace and took you with all the filth that's inside you and presented you to God, holy and blemishless. But then there is that word, if, right? In verse 23 there. In fact, the Greek is even stronger. In Greek it reads, if indeed you continue. Grammatically, Paul is saying that if you do not continue committed solely to the Christ revealed in the Scriptures, the hope of this Christ, if you are moved or shifted from that, then all the things I just said are not true of you. Now, that might be startling or even confusing or frustrating to some of us. Maybe because we are somebody who at some point made a sincere commitment to Christ or we felt it was sincere. We felt real emotion. We decided we wanted to follow Jesus, but we ourselves know that we have shifted in our life from that hope. And so we're uncomfortable when it says this. Oh, you mean those things aren't true of me if I shift? Or maybe we have someone we love dearly who made that kind of commitment at one point but is veered from that hope. I don't, this isn't a a full exposition of the ways of God in salvation and assurance of salvation and losing your salvation, all those types of things. We could, we could deal at length with that, but I'm not going to today. I'm dealing with this passage here. And this passage makes clear that if you want true assurance, the true confidence that you belong to this Jesus, then we must remain unmoved in our commitment to that hope and to that Christ as revealed in Scripture. And I'd say, if you don't see Jesus as the Jesus of the Scripture, the one who is supreme over all creation, the one through whom creation was made, the one for whom creation was made, the one who took fallen creation and redeemed it by being the firstborn from the dead, the one who is the one who reached down and saved you, if you don't... if Let me say it this way. If you see Christ for those things, as those things, you're not going to move anywhere else. You're not going to be shifted. And if you've shifted and been moved, it's because you probably never really saw Christ for who he was to begin with. And maybe the Jesus you believed in was not the Jesus of the Scriptures. And so today is the day 
isn't it? To see Christ for who he is. And to embrace that Christ. And to say, here is a Christ that I can hold to from beginning to end. Unmoved from the hope. One of uh, the men who has mentored me and had a big influence on my life is a man named Kent Hughes. He said this. Seeing Christ as he is will keep us from heresy for it will steal us against the scaled down Christ which has captured so many lost hearts. And it will cause us to begin to love him with a real love. When you see Christ for who he is, this beautiful, wonderful, majestic Savior, you don't need to worry about, am I going to lose my salvation? Because your heart will be consumed with him. You'll be given to him and you'll continue unmoved from that hope. I said I had one goal this morning to captivate your heart with the brilliance and majesty of Christ. It's not something I can do in my own power. It's something that God, only God can do in your heart as you allow his word to fill your heart. But as you do, and as you see him as he is, it will give you great assurance that you are his And nothing can move you. Nothing can move you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage. Amazing passage. It presents Christ in all his glory and splendor. I pray that you would use it to its proper effect in our lives. And I pray that we as a church would be a church that's unmoved from our hope in Christ the Christ of Scripture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.